Welcome back to another episode of That's Business. Today's guest, Pam, came to entrepreneurship from education. She started her career as a middle school English language arts teacher, went to graduate school, and dedicated 20 years of her life to academia as a teacher educator. Pam has always been a strong believer in the power of goals and dreams. In February of 2022, she started her own grant research and writing business, Intentions Granted. She uses her writing and storytelling skills to help grant intentions for nonprofit and for-profit organizations. In October, Pam completed her Integrative Nutrition Health Coach Certification through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition and is preparing to launch her second business. Pam, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited. You have a lot going on, but how are we doing today? Excellent. So excited to be here. Angela, you're one of my favorite people to talk with and one of my favorite topics. So I think we're all set for success here. Yes, I'm so excited. So before we dive into all the incredible things you have in the pipeline right now, throwing it back to childhood. What were you like as a child? Would you want to be when you grew up? Walk us through that. Uh, I was a little girl growing up in Iowa. Uh, I live in Colorado now, but I was born and raised in Dubuque, Iowa, and had a pretty idyllic childhood. I'm the youngest of five. My dad was a mail carrier and my mom was a homemaker. And they always modeled a fabulous balance between working hard and having fun. And that was where I came from, is that kind of stock. And when I was little, I would say, if you asked me what I wanted to be most of all, it was a teacher. And it was because I loved playing school with my sister in our basement during the summer. Oh my gosh. We had a lot of fun. That does sound fun. And I love that you knew this so young that you wanted to be a teacher. Now, you said that your parents, as we like to call the work hard, play hard. What did that look like or what did they do with you kiddos growing up that you really caught on to that? There was laughter in our house every day. So everybody was up early, worked hard. When we were young, we always had chores around the house. But when we came home from school, it was sit down and do your homework. There was no go outside and play. It was if you want to go outside and play, you've got to earn it. And so we would come home, sit down at the kitchen table, do our homework. Mom would have a great snack for us. And after dinner, we would always, we were a big card playing family, play a lot of euchre and because Midwest, uh, play the euchre. (laughs) And I don't, do they play that in Michigan? Yes, we do. I think it it stops near Michigan because when I went to Penn State, people were like, excuse me, what? Like Pittsburgh people knew what it was, but it's, it's really interesting. We'll have to get a game going sometime because it, it isn't a thing out here no. <laughs> in Colorado. But we would laugh and play jokes. Mom and dad would sing. We were it was just a, a great childhood. So it was always a work hard, play hard. But I think the best gift they gave us is we were in solid middle class, not middle upper. We had a humble but always well provided for home. Oh. But mom and dad really valued travel. And I think that has been a key indicator for my success is no matter what, we always took a trip somewhere. Wow. And those memories, I feel like you can't recreate. Like those traveling memories or bringing up or I think it was with you, we were talking about certain smells or things that take you back to this specific thing that happened 20, 30, whatever years ago. So I love that. And it such an enriching experience and instilling those habits so young of like, you want to do something, we can have fun, but it's up to you because that's so 
shown through, especially when you create your own business or you're in a corporate setting to get a promotion. I mean, that's huge. And budgeting, you know, that if you want to go on a thousand dollar trip, you're going to be putting aside a hundred dollars a month. What are you going to need to do to have that extra income to put aside for a trip? So they never hid that from us. I think it was really good that they were transparent about that. Well, and what a good, like growing up, because I feel I was not as informed of financials as much unless I asked the questions. But that's such a tumultuous time where I was like, what? It's so expensive to be an adult. I don't want to do this anymore. But learning that so early on is so huge and to build those strong habits as an adult. But yeah, wow. Oh, your childhood sounds like a dream. They were great parents. Yes. Oh, I love that. Now, moving into high school and the formative years or kind of as you move through your 20s, you still stuck on the teacher route. Was there ever any a time that you considered doing something else outside of teaching and education or you knew and that's the route you went? My brothers, I have three older brothers. They wanted me to do anything but teaching. <laughs> uh, they called me their tree hugger sister because I was the English major they really wanted me to go into engineering oh. so much so that they said they would pool together and pay my tuition if I would go to Bradley for engineering. <laughs> and I looked at the curriculum and I said, that is not how I want to spend my time. Yeah. So I did explore other things. My brother Terry thought it would be great to have an investor in the family. He said we could really use someone with some financial savvy. Um not a numbers girl. <laughs> why did they pick you as the youngest? Like, oh, Pam's going to be the one. Like, why didn't they do it then? I was the first in my family to go straight to college. Oh, wow. So okay. of the five of us, uh, my brothers eventually both got their bachelor's and one got his master's. But I was the first to go straight from high school into college and go all the way through to a PhD. Wow. That's incredible. That's awesome. And I feel like maybe because my mom's hard on me sometimes about things or especially because she said the same thing. She's like, if I'm paying for your school, you're not going to be a teacher or in social work. And it broke my heart. But she I mean, she had the financial backing to f- say fine. But I it's so different. I mean, I am in a teaching coaching role, but it's so funny that you get the bad rap of like, you need to make more money and you need to do more things, but you're so needed. And right. when I met you, I'm like, the amount of students I'm sure you have impacted in your 20 years, you will be the one that they will be old and gray to say, I will remember this professor from college and from middle school or from wherever that really made the impact. And you'll be one of those. I would put money on that. I still hear from students pretty much every week. <gasps> do you really? Oh, yeah. I'm not surprised. And we used to have an end of semester party at our house uh, the night before finals started, and then students could take home the leftovers and eat for the week. So we would have a big party. And it was really fun that the rule was once you were invited, you were always invited. And so we had students from my first year of teaching college who would come back after they'd gotten married and had kids, and they would still come back to the soiree. Oh, you're giving me goosebumps here. Yes. You're, you're amazing. It was a good gig. Now, when you started teaching, and I already know this answer knowing you, but <laughs> how did you cultivate and what was your what's your teaching style as far as like making sure students understand or dealing with different groups of students? What was the most important thing for you or how your style was? I would say the most important thing. That's a great question, Angela. I would say the most important thing is 
sitting with people and talking with them, not standing up and talking at them. Ooh. So I think the sitting beside and being part of the important conversations. One of the most important lessons I learned was during student teaching, we had a kind of, uh, it was a chaotic event that happened. And when the students walked in, my mentor teacher could tell there was something going on and no learning was going to happen. So he stopped class. He sat down and just had a conversation with them about where they were and what was going on. And they had a chance to share their voice. And then the class was able to move on. But he did such a great job, Rick Vanderwall, of modeling what to do. I've had fabulous mentors. I just am gifted with mentors. But uh, Mr. Vanderwall really showed how it's all about meeting people where they are. I love that so much because any professors, I, I stopped after my master's, but any professors, it's not so much the material, it's the impact they had. And funny enough, because now that I'm approaching the age, he gave this to me. He gave me like a 25 lessons I learned after 25 or something like that after 30. Whoa. So I found it and I was like, oh, that's so far away, but it's still this perfect piece of paper and I have it framed and I'll never forget. Like, I will never forget that, which is so incredible. And that class was very, you got graded on how you interact with each other and how you talked. And he would sit on his desk, like sit on the empty desk with us. And that made such a difference of I felt comfortable going to them because college is such a, I mean... I'm not a student. I'm not a great student. I'm a good essay writer and speaker, but I'm not a good test taker. So it could be very difficult, but that's incredible. Now, what classes have you taught in your time or did you have a favorite that you taught? Okay. Before we go on, we have to pause here because yes, in the playback, it will be very remiss if I didn't pause here and ask you of that list of 25 things that your professor gave you, what stands out to you? Oh my gosh, I have it right here. Let me look. Let's see. This is a teachable moment. We can't let this pass by. We can't. I know. So of that 25 things, there was so much as you're not as smart as you think you are. You're not as dumb as you feel. That was something. Or it gets better even if it's pretty good now. Because that was something that stuck out to me. Because I was told my whole life college, like, you're going to have your best life in college. College is going to be so great. And I struggled a lot with depression. I I struggled a lot with school. I now know it was depression. I didn't know at the time. But it wasn't the best time of my life. I had a lot of great friends. I have two weddings I'm going to in the next few months of two of my very best friends. I will. I'm thankful to have, but it wasn't the best time of my life. So that being drilled in my head, and this was our senior thesis class, I'm like, okay, I'm not crazy. And feeling that way, because I loved high school. I still talked to about 40, 50 some people from high school where a lot of people didn't have that experience. So I think it's like not a every size fits all, but I reread this list the other day and it was about failure, you know, find him or her and hold on for dear life. And that never stuck with me until I met my partner, Dan. So it's so good. I'm going to send you this list and we'll put it in the show notes for people to review because it is so good. Yes. Thank you. It's things at 35. I wish I knew when I was 25 or 21 for that matter, because we were all 21 when he gave this to us. (laughs) So it was great. What a gift. 
Yes. So he is incredible. I'll never forget. But I was so happy when I found that. It's a little crinkled now because I put it at the bottom of files. I'm like, yes, I found it. So back to you. I mean, okay. so are you a Ted Lasso fan? Did you watch it? Oh, absolutely. We're a soccer family. Okay. Go Tottenham Hotspur. (laughs) I'm just thinking of, I think it was Thanksgiving when Leslie had everyone over to his family's house, like the whole team and everyone brought a dish. Oh, Christmas. Christmas. Christmas That's what it was. Yes. Christmas. That's just what I'm envisioning. So was it very much like that for students? Oh, yeah. Usually at Thanksgiving, we had extra people at the table, people who could not get home for whatever reason or just needed a place to go. Everyone always knew. Uh, during student teaching, when you don't take good care of yourself, <laughs> we had a standing offer for anybody who was student teaching. You could just show up at dinner time, and we'd feed you. You're incredible. Oh, no, I worked with incredible people. You're incredible yourself. Take it. Yes, you are. But thank you. how did you, and I don't want to extend the story if this is part of the story, but going to Iowa, at what point did you move to Colorado and why? Or is this part of the lineage of the story? Because I don't want to butcher it. I started out teaching middle school back at my own middle school, which had not been the plan. Just happens. But I do think there's a nugget in there that I want to share for people in terms of advice. So I was an English major, French minor, certified to teach in both. So I had a teaching certificate for grades 7 through 12. Um, Graduated in a terrible year. It was a drought. There were not many teaching jobs. So I worked on a riverboat and then worked in publishing for a year until I got my teaching job. And at the interview, and I just want to point out for listeners, you never know which interview question is going to be the one that lands you the job. We often think about the one that lost us. But when I interviewed for my first teaching job, there were 500 applicants for one teaching position. (gasps) Wow. So when I got the job, I asked the team who had interviewed me when I was a contract was signed and er, they couldn't they couldn't go back. I said, I have to ask you, I'm fresh out with no teaching experience. And there were four hundred and ninety nine other applicants. What stood out to you? And they said, when we asked you, what book are you currently reading? You were the only candidate who could answer that question. Something so little, right? For an English teacher, I was reading Miss of Avalon by Marion Zimmer Bradley. I will never forget it as long as I live. And that was what got me the job. So you never know. Be authentic in your interview and practice what you preach. I thought that was, you know, I can't imagine hiring an English teacher who doesn't read. Right. So and that was kind of a, a, a little nugget. Then I ended up going back to graduate school and was at the University of Iowa for six years, did my master's and PhD together. And then the place where I eventually took the job was my first interview, and we knew it was the right one right away. And so that's what brought us to Colorado. Oh my gosh, and you've been there ever since? We have been here ever since. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, my husband is a pilot and worked his way up in the community here, and it's been a good gig. That's amazing. Now, 2022 comes through. Well, first of all, teaching during a pandemic, because I want to talk about that. What was that transition like or having to, I can only imagine and geez, but what happened 2020 as far as teaching goes and how you had to adapt? What I think stands out for me about that COVID era that I think would be of interest to your audience is I think in COVID, we all had a chance to really 
think about our priorities. And when you're an academic, you have three prongs to your job description. You do research, you teach, and you perform service. And what stood out to me during COVID was I really started to realize that at that point, 20 years in, my career was something that was being done to me. I was no longer an agent, in an active agent in my career. I had been requesting for years a mid-career mentor, and no one was hearing my requests. And I really looked at how I was spending my time, and I was doing a lot of service, and it was taking away from the rest of my job. And when I really looked at why I got into the job that I took, what had stood out to me was I, I wanted to research and write, and I had no time to research and write. So what came out of COVID-19 for me and the pandemic and lockdown was I fell back in love with reading and writing and said, I need to do something where I can spend my days doing reading and writing. Wow. And that's why I made the transition to uh, be a grant researcher and writer. Now, simplify for those that may not know what this all entails, a grant researcher and writer and having your own company <laughs> doing this. What does that look like day to day? How do you help clients? Who do you help? Walk us through it. I have like the best job in the world oh. because I work with people who are trying to make lives better. They are giving of their time and their talent, their energy to uh, help lift people out of poverty, to help bring transportation services to seniors, to help bring art to public spaces. They are, I mean, they're just a fabulous group of people. So what I do is when a for-profit or non-profit business has a project, they have some work they want to do and they need the capital to do it, they will come and talk with me and we'll have a conversation about what are your needs and what do you need to accomplish your mission. And then I will research funders and find out who is offering money and who would support a project like that and who would support a project like that at the funding level that they need. And then I get to know them, their mission, and I write applications to foundations. I do government requests for proposals. I have done everything from $1,000 grants all the way up to what I'm working on right now is a $50 million <gasps> request. $50 million? <gasps> Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So uh, it requires me to think differently <laughs> than someone who was uh, raised in humble beginnings. <laughs> Fifth. Oh, my gosh. That's I'm sorry that just the woman was too shocked to speak like, wow, that's so much money. Now, it is. <laughs> have you had I'm just trying to comprehend that right now. But with the range of clients you work with profit, nonprofit, five grand of 50 million dollars. What is the difference as far as the um, needs for the application? And like you said, thinking differently. So I guess my question is, what's your approach from working with like client A versus client B, the one that needs 5K or the one that needs 50 million? That is another great question, Angela. I would say I approach both very similarly in that it always starts with conversation. Yes. And I think it's really important to get to know my clients. They know that when they work with me, they are not a, a number to me. 
They're not a 5,000 or a 50 million. They are a person. I want to know them. I want to know the people they serve. So that can mean not only do I study their website, but if they have videos from their organization on YouTube, I do that. For some of the current ones I'm doing, it might require reading a book on the funder and finding out how does that funder think so I can get inside of his or her head. And we want an application that's going to stand out, not just a, hi, my name is, please give me X dollars. We want to tell a story. We want them to care. So I see you're you're smiling, your face is lighting up because you know, as a writer, that's fun. It is fun. That's getting to play with words. And it's really important work. It is such important work. I mean, especially... And I just learned about opportunities with grant funding and all for our business. And I'm like, well, I'm a service-based business. I don't get funding. But you do. You do. Oh, yeah. That's something to think about. But do you have a client or a success story that really stands out to you from working with clients that you want to share or multiple? Oh, my. So many. Oh, good problem to have, Pam. Yes. That is a great problem to have. I'll go with a recent one. One of my clients is the oldest nonprofit preschool in her county in Florida. And we just got a grant to help them serve underprivileged youth. So the students who go to their school most attend on scholarship. And we do a lot of work about explaining why preschool is so important in the development of people and how it can help determine whether you go to college, uh, what kind of job you get. It can have so much of an impact. And it was such an exciting win for them that when she let me know last week, we all just kind of did a dance together. Uh, And it's just their success is your success. And to me, the success doesn't come when the grant's submitted. It's when we bring it across the finish line. Yes. Incredible. Now, are you taking on new clients? Someone's listening, wants to work with you, or do you have a certain, I hate the niche word, but do you have certain clients you work with or certain industries over others? I'm open. You're open. I am taking on new clients and I am absolutely open. I will never take on a project. Like I had someone contact me last week, a client I've worked with before, who I know and love and really admire the work they do. But an uh, opportunity came through and we would have had a week to do a government proposal. And I had to say, I could take your money, but I won't be able to do it justice. So I won't take your money and I'm going to decline. But I will help you find another opportunity. But it's not about what can you pay me? It's can we get this for you? And that's so important. It's so important because I feel like in your world when, I mean, financials are a big deal and a lot of people do take advantage or like, ooh, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm just going to take your money and say, oh, it's not my fault. Or you could have very easily taken it knowing it probably wasn't going to be the best or that's under a tight timeline that speaks volumes of who you are as a person and as a professional. Thank you. Wow. 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 Where, so before we transition to the second business you're going to start, what's kind of the next year have in store for you for your current business? So what I really love about my current business, and this might be a model that some solopreneurs are interested in, 
What I chose to do with my grant research and writing business is I wanted to be sure I had guaranteed income every month. Yes. So for half of my clients, I contract with a grant writing company. So I work for that grant writing company and then I am guaranteed X amount of funds. So for budgeting purposes, you know, you're a business owner. It's really nice to know that no matter what, I can count on having X amount of dollars coming in. And then the other half of my clients are ones that I court myself. Wow. Okay. And so it gives me a chance. I do. I start every week with a workflow. Actually, I end it with a workflow. I end every week with a workflow saying, okay, here's what I have for the next week. So if somebody contacts me and says, can you take on this project? I have in front of me my workflow and I can tell. So I have one for the week, one for the month, one for the next couple months. So I can kind of see where I have gaps that I could take on more work or where I have to say, no, I'm at capacity right now. Now, where did the idea come for wanting to do this certification to start your second business now, which is super exciting? Yeah. Well, you know, Destiny sent me over the questions in advance. And one of the ones that she sent that I found was uh, really interesting is how did I get into what I'm doing now? And how did I transition industries? And I think about the conversations I had when I thought about my what's next. I'm going to bring Jan Barlow in. Yes. My what's next. One of the conversations that I had when I was researching what was possible was someone recommended that I think about what do I do in my spare time? What do I do when no one is looking? And I really thought that was a great piece of advice. So as I'm working with my grant writing business, I'm also a health fanatic. Love that. I love the wellness industry. So I'm always reading books about health and wellness. And if you've ever taken the Clifton Strengths assessment, my number one is learner. So I'm always taking a class. And so I love health and wellness. And in my Instagram feed, I kept seeing these ads because I follow a lot of wellness things for the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And I was like, wow, they're doing some really interesting work. And they had a, an ad that you could take a sample class. Oh, fun. And I was like, well, I love taking classes. I'm going to take a sample class and try it out. Great marketing, right? So for business people out there, I will say it's a great <laughs> marketing tool. Let people sample what you have to offer. So I took the sample class, loved it, started talking with my husband and son about how much I was enjoying it. And they said, you know, is this something you'd like to do? And I said, well, I'm really interested because when you sign up for the IIN program, you can either do a personal track or a professional track, but you can complete the content and think about it as you go. Oh, interesting. And not decide until the end. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of went in thinking, I started out thinking this is good personally. Right. You know, I'm always wanting to be healthier and improve wellness. And then as I'm doing it, I'm like, I love this because I would get up early because I exercise every day. So I'd get up even earlier so I could work on schoolwork, then do a committed workout every day, do my journaling, all of that, so that I could be ready to log in on time for work because I work from home. And I found myself waking up before the alarm to do the schoolwork. And I'm like, I am loving this stuff. 
So when it came time to choose the final project, I chose to do the career route and did a business plan. And I'm currently, uh, I designed a 12-week signature program and I'm currently beta testing it with a friend who's giving me feedback as we go. We're heading into week five of the 12 weeks and I'm just seeing what it feels like. And that's so important as far as taking what you're passionate about. We love a good Instagram ad. That's how I, from a LinkedIn ad, how I went for my master's in military psychology because I was a defense recruiter at the time and they got me. It's like, man, I keep seeing this. Like, let me look at it. So they're good. <laughs> Shout they're out good. to schools. Use marketing. Use paid ads. They work. Yes. Do you have a kind of target date of when you're officially launching? But and it's so smart, too, to use a friend as a beta client, mm-hmm. because I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs don't do it. They're like, oh, I got to figure it out. I'm just going to do it. And we do the same thing with new services of, hey, I'll do it for you. You just got to give me feedback. Yeah. But after the 12 weeks, do we have an ideal date or when we want we're going to launch officially? We do have a plan. I think the key is I chose to work with a kind of um, a friend who is both a great combination of open, but skeptical. Ooh, good. And he's proven to be the perfect beta (laughs) tester for this. So that's been great. I would love the plan is to be up and running by the end of this year. Okay. I have the marketing plan. I've met with my SCORE mentor. Big shout out to SCORE. My SCORE mentor has, uh, if you don't know what a SCORE mentor is, you can get a free mentor who will help mentor you as you start a small business. And my mentor, Peter, is amazing and We met weekly while I was getting my grant business up. And now we're talking again as I get ready to do the health coaching business. And it's just been instrumental. But I would like to do the two businesses side by side. I'm like you. I think we're very similar, Angela. I have a lot of interests. Yes. And I need to keep them all fed. Yes. I think if there's anything I've learned is you'll just figure it out where some people are very cautious and I probably should be a little more cautious than I am as far as making decisions about the business and all. But I'm like, hey, what's the worst? Because to me, the worst thing already happened. I got fired from my job. I lived paycheck to paycheck. I mean, yeah, I'm yep. I decided to hire employees. Right. So I'm not rolling in the dough as maybe I would be as a solopreneur, but it just it just works. So yes, you have to feed the curiosities, do the things. I mean, jumping on a plane to fly to Dallas to meet a room full of strangers that have all been incredible that I did a few weeks ago, which is how Pam and I met. It's so fun and it's also great. And even thinking about you moving from Iowa, which you had been comfortable in your whole life, to go to Colorado, like completely different lifestyles. Yeah. I think it's you just you just got to do it. It'll work out and you have to feed those interests or those. You don't want to live with the what if. What if I would have done this instead is my kind of thought on it. Absolutely. Did you do a cubicle job at some point? Oh, I did so many cubicle jobs. My internship was a B2B sale. So half cube, half sit on the phone and get screamed at all day. I did both recruiting jobs were cubes. So yeah, can't do it. So when I did my cubicle job in publishing and I loved, I learned so much in my publishing job. I loved it. And I went back and did it every summer while I was teaching middle school. I would go back and work for them in the summers. But the punching a clock and having to fill out a timesheet for every action you were doing so that it was all billable time uh, was mind numbing to me. I am a person who needs to have diverse things going on all day long. You have to. 
Right. Yeah. I think we're similar with that. You bring up the cubicles. My partner and I were just flying back from Tampa on Tuesday and or Monday, and they had like the little workstations while you could wait at your gate. And they're all cubes like in a row, which was really nice design. And I was like, I, I sat next to him. I go, I don't know how I lived that life for the first, what was it, eight years of my career. Oh, my. I'm like, I don't know how I did that. Looking at it in person outside. Eight years. Oh, that would be soul draining. Shout out to people who can do it. Yes. If you could do it, great. More power to you. Right. Not for me. Mm-mm. And they've come a long way. I feel like where you have like these quiet pods and stuff like that, like my co-working space has quiet pods or private rooms, which is I feel like helps us neurodivergent individuals because I get overwhelmed in loud spaces. And now I understand why. But the cube life was never for me. I'm like, oh, so I'm just going to get micromanaged and watched all day for what I'm doing when really I could do an eight hour day's worth of work in an hour and a half. So it is interesting looking back on it now. You know, when I was in graduate school, I had uh, you had the job that pays the bills. So I did uh, I worked for a large testing service and I would take my badge and go to a warehouse every day for eight hours and score essays. Oh, and I did that for a summer. And I said the next year, I said, I've got to have something that feeds my soul. So I did that for a half day. And then in the afternoons, I worked at a pony camp and did outdoor education. And it was one of the best jobs I ever had. It's true. Went through a pair of shoes every (laughs) week because they'd get so muddy. And I loved it. I feel like we're fed at such a young age. You have to do the corporate job. You have to go this route or you need to do this. Or if you work, and I loved, love, love, love working in a restaurant. So it's so funny because that was my favorite job outside of owning my own business. And people are like, you are just a bartender and server. I'm like, yeah, but I built connections and it may, has made me a people person that I am today that helps me sell clients. So I love going back to those formative jobs or the ones that people are like, oh, you did that. It's like sometimes the minimum wage jobs were the favorite or the ones you made the least amount of money. Absolutely. My first job was at an ice cream shop called Sergeant Pepper's Only Ice Cream Stand. And I had the best boss and the best coworkers. And I scooped ice cream and got promoted to making the ice Ooh. cream. And there are days I would go back to that job in a heartbeat. <laughs> Maybe that's your retired job. Maybe. Larry was a great model of what a boss could and should be. Oh, it's always the ones you in the least places you would assume that are the great bosses, I feel. Yeah. As we wrap this up with all the great nuggets of information you've provided, what final advice do you have for listeners? I love this question so much because I get to talk about my favorite mentor in the world. Uh, when I say her name, you're going to hear angels sing. So I don't know if they can like put that in later <laughs> yeah, when they can, edit this, but if there could be an. <laughs> My mentor in graduate school, Dr. Ann DePardo, was fabulous. And as I was working through my graduate program and it was getting closer and closer for the time for me to pick my dissertation topic and Everybody else was coming up with their topic and coming up with their topic. And she looked at me and she said, your calling is going to be the thing that keeps you up at night. It's going to be what is going through your head when you put your head on the pillow at night. But she said, even more than that, 
She said, when you think about your niche and what you want your career to be, I don't want you looking at job titles. I don't want you looking at job descriptions. I don't want you to look at salary ranges. She said, I want you to look around you and look at what people's day-to-day lives are like. Because she said, a career is what you do on a day-to-day basis. It's not a job title. And she said, think about how do you want to spend your days? And that's how you pick your niche. And I have found that to be the most beautiful advice anyone could give me. It's true. You work, what, 40 hours a week if you work a corporate job. If you work for yourself or do many of things like you and I both do, it's a lot more than 40 hours a week. But yeah. what do you want to spend your days doing? That's the best piece of advice. And it's true. I mean, I've never worked as many hours. I said I wasn't going to be a, <laughs> wasn't gonna be a journalist because I didn't want to work nights, weekends, and holidays. So instead, I'm a business owner that works nights, weekends, and holidays sometimes when needed. So funny how that works. Well, Pam, as always, you are loads of fun. You are absolutely incredible. (laughs) So are you, Angela. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you for the work you do. For those of you listening, if you want to work with Pam or see how she could get your business some money, head to the show notes, check out our website and all, and tune in next week for another episode of That's Business. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.